Welcome to the podcast of Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. We hope that you enjoy the sermons and other audio provided by us. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it will be beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. Now, if you would, turn in your Bibles to First uh, Peter, First Peter chapter 2. First Peter chapter 2. I hope everybody can hear me all right. I think we fixed that problem. A little bit of a echo, but we're good. We got the wind blowing, so it's blowing on the microphone, and my pages are flipping around. So just, but we'll we'll keep continue to bear with it. Tonight we're looking at another passage where Peter gives us the indicative. He's telling us what God has done in Jesus on our behalf. Um, the first part of the book, as we looked at the first half of chapter 1, it was all like this. It was stating what God had done in Jesus. How, how all three persons of the Trinity were involved in our salvation. About how, how, how the Father, it was a part of the Father's plan to save us. It was, um, it was applied by the Spirit. It was, um, what, what, it was made possible by the death and the shedding of blood of Jesus and we were saved for obedience to Him. How, how He caused us to be born again to a living hope. All of those things that, that God has done for us and our obedience then is based on the fact of what God has already done. We don't follow the imperatives. We don't do the things that God is calling us to do so that we will be accepted by God. On the other hand, we obey Him because we have already been accepted by God because of what He has done on the cross in Jesus. Okay? Um, so, Peter began chapter 1 by explaining all of these wonderful things that God has done for us in Jesus, and then he says, prepare your minds for action. He tells us uh, to put our hope fully on the grace that's to be revealed. He tells us to be holy. He tells us to fear. He tells us to love. All of those things uh, are in a response to what God has done for us. And last week we looked at how um, because we have purified our souls for obedience to, by obedience to the truth, then we are to love one another earnestly from the heart because we've been born again of a new seed, of a, of a living and abiding imperishable seed. Uh, that's kind of leading us up to where we, ha- we, we were last week. And actually last week we looked at so put away all malice. These were more imperatives. We're putting away what we used to be. We're putting away malice and deceit and hypocrisy. And we're supposed to, it's more imperative, we're supposed to long for the pure milk of the Word. To long for that, to have a new desire for that. He ends that, If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now that was a quotation from a psalm. Psalm 34, I think. Or maybe it was Isaiah 34. I'm getting confused. <laughs> I knew it last week. Sometimes we just forget. Yeah. Um, it was a quotation for the Old Testament, and whenever it says the Lord there, it's talking about Yahweh. It's talking about the Lord who, who created all things, who created the heavens and earth. And, and then it says, as you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men, it's talking about who? Re- the one who was rejected by men? 
Jesus. And, and he's turning here from command. Command, this is what you do, back to this is what God has done. And he's identifying who Jesus was. Notice, as you come to Him, that is the Lord, Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament, as a living stone who was rejected by man. It's, it's clearly showing that Jesus is to be identified with the God of the Old Testament. So if you're um, talking with someone who doesn't believe that Jesus was God, maybe a, a Jehovah's Witness or, or some other, um, maybe just somebody who just doesn't believe it, maybe they're not a part of some other religious group, you can show them this. The grammar of the text is saying, the one who is the Lord, who we taste and see that He's good, that the Old Testament clearly is talking about as Yahweh is the one who was rejected by men, but in the sight of God, choice and precious. So we're going to look now tonight at what God has done, how He has He has, has how Jesus is this stone, this cornerstone upon which He builds the church, and how each of us as believers are. Um, put together as a house. We're put together as, as a spiritual house. We're called together to live in a community of priest kings. A kingdom of priests. We're a holy nation. He's called us to be a, a community together, uh, fellowshipping together, worshipping together, being built up into a spiritual house. Let's look at at um, verses 4 through 10. As you come to Him, a living stone, rejected by men in the sight of God, chosen and precious. But in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For as it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe... The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank You. As we glory, as we praise You for what You have done and calling us out to be a people for You. Your precious people, the sheep of your pasture. Father, help us tonight to understand your word. And Lord, let that well up within us with praise for you. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. I've already kind of spoken on this first verse. As you come to Him. Reference to the last verse, the Lord. As you come to the Lord, a living stone. Still here, uh, seeming to be a reference to the Lord being that living stone. And then it says, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. And we understand the one who was rejected by men was Jesus. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He came doing miracles. He claimed to be God Himself. And what did people do? The religious establishment, the very people who should have recognized the coming of the Messiah, rejected Him. They conspired to put Him on a cross, to nail Him to a cross and, and kill Him. While, while He was rejected by men, He was chosen and precious in God's sight. God did not allow His flesh to see corruption as the psalm says and as Peter quotes in his sermon in Acts chapter 2. He did not allow His flesh to see corruption, but He was resurrected. And our hope, our living hope, is in this resurrection. God delighted in the Son. The Father delighted in Him. He was chosen and precious, so He did not allow Him to stay dead. He rose Him from the dead. This is what it's saying about Jesus. He is the cornerstone. He is this stone, this foundation. And then He turns and He changes the analogy and He puts us in the place of these stones. He says, you yourselves like living stones. In the same way that Jesus is called a living stone, then He says believers are like living stones being built up as a spiritual house. First of all, the Old Testament passage that we're, we're looking at, that's quoted later, talks about the, this living stone was rejected. And as we live in the midst of a hostile world where we might feel rejected, it is helpful and encouraging for us to know that we are being identified with Jesus Christ here. We're being identified just as they rejected the cornerstone, this living stone, they also reject us. And so, so we, we have an identification there with our Savior when we see that. But he also says, like living stones were being built up. Ephesians talks about this in a very similar manner as it talks about the church. We're being built up. We're building one another up as we teach and admonish one another. Um, we're being built up. And it's God that does the building. We're being built up as a spiritual house. So Jesus is the cornerstone, and He's building all of these stones. He's placing each one of us in our place, each one according to our gifts, in order to build up this spiritual house. By spiritual house, uh, there's a sense in which, well, well, Jesus talked about Himself as the temple whenever He was here on earth. He said, destroy this temple, I'll raise it up in three days. It was a reference to Himself. He was the new temple. 
And in, in the same sense, we as believers are the temple in the sense that we are, we are indwelled. As we gather together, we are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. God's dwelling place in the Old Testament was the temple. And now, we as believers, we are the presence of, of the temple in the earth. And, and He inhabits us as we gather together to worship. There's a corporate dimension there. As living stones rejected by men in the sight of God and chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be... Why are we being built up in this spiritual house? To be a holy priesthood. A holy priesthood. What are we to be? We're to be like priests. Now that's what God was calling ancient Israel to be. He said that they would be a holy priesthood. And when he said that, he wasn't just talking about the Levites. The Levites were the ones among Israel who were the priests. They would, they would offer sacrifices. They were the only ones allowed to be priests. But in a sense, in Exodus, God spoke of all of His people, Israel, as priests. And that was their intention. They were to function as these, this priestly function of proclaiming the true God. And yet they failed. They never lived up to what God desired for them to do. They were disobedient. And instead, now we fulfill that function. He's called us to be a holy priesthood. We're called together as a people corporately so that we can proclaim and, and, and perform this priestly function of telling the world about the greatness of Jesus. Of telling the world about what He's done for us. Of, of, of proclaiming as God's ambassadors how they can, they can be reconciled with God because of what Jesus has done for us. We're a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Priests, what do priests do? They offer sacrifices. And so, we offer spiritual sacrifices. One of the things that this text is doing is it's saying, there is no longer any need for animal sacrifices. Believers, we don't do animal sacrifices anymore like the Old Testament Jews did. They would have to come to the temple. They would have to slaughter an animal, a lamb or a calf or pigeons or some kind of animal day after day, year after year. But Hebrews tells us that, that, the, that the once for all satisfaction, the once for all sacrifice was taken place by Jesus on the cross. But we, as this holy priesthood, we offer spiritual sacrifices. No longer in the form of animals, but we offer spiritual sacrifices. And I, I think here of Romans 12. Romans 12 talks about how we... Um, we're not to be conformed to the world, but we're to be uh, transformed by the renewing of our minds. And, and we offer ourselves as living sacrifices. We're, we're, and that is the acceptable sacrifice. We, we offer ourselves to Him. Holy and acceptable to God through Jesus. 
Any sacrifice that we make is only acceptable to God because of, of Jesus Christ. All of, all of the things that we would try to do for God in our own strength, in our own power, is just more wickedness. It's, it's just empty. Apart from the strengthening and the empowering and the, the fact that it's through Jesus Christ. Jesus it was, is what makes these spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. Not on anything, any merit within us, but it's only through Jesus Christ. And then he says, for it stands in Scripture. I think whenever he says for it stands in Scripture, he's not here referencing the, the, the last thing he said, but he's referencing the whole passage here that's, that's above it. And he's, he's saying, Jesus is this cornerstone. He is this living stone because of what it says in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a, corner, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. This Old Testament passage that Peter is, is bringing out and he's saying, Jesus is the fulfillment of this prophecy. Jesus is the fulfillment of this passage of, old, of the Old Testament. Jesus is this precious stone in Zion. Jesus is this cornerstone that's chosen and precious. And it's Jesus on whom whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. If you trust in Jesus, your shame is taken away. Each one of us have many things to be ashamed of in our lives. Our sin, our brokenness, the, the things that we've done. And if, if everybody in this room could see on film the things that have been in our thought lives, the things that we've done that we, don't, that we feel ashamed of, we, would, we, we wouldn't want anybody to see us anymore. We have so much that we might be ashamed of. But when we place our hope and trust in Jesus, when we believe in Him, that He has, has died in our place, that He has taken away our guilt, we have nothing any longer to put us to shame. Because we have Jesus. He has washed us clean. He has taken our shame upon Himself on the cross. He hung there naked upon the cross, people mocking Him, taking upon the shame that was ours. So, verse 7, the honor is for you who believe. The honor. One of the things I read here is this honor is, is a vindication. Just as Jesus was vindicated whenever He, he did take our shame upon the cross, he, he, he died upon the cross, He was risen again and He was vindicated. And in the same way, the honor, our, our vindication, is for us who believe. We won't be put to shame. Instead of having shame, we're going to have honor because of what Jesus did on the cross when we believe in Him. But for those who do not believe... And there are millions and billions in this world who are in this category. 
Those who do not believe. Those who have not trusted in the Savior. Those who are not trusting in Jesus for salvation. Those who do not believe. This is what the Old Testament Scripture says about them. The stone that the builders rejected has become the, stone, the, the cornerstone. Whether that be the religious establishment in Jesus' time, the ones who rejected Him, or any unbeliever today who hears the Gospel and yet they scoff at it. They turn away. They say it's foolishness. I don't want to have anything to do with that. They reject the One who was chosen and precious in God's sight. And the stone of stumbling and a rock of offense what Jesus is. He's, he's, he's a scandal to the unbelieving world. Paul says in Corinthians, it's, what's, it's foolishness in the eyes of the world, but it's the wisdom of God to us. It's, there's a scandal here. Who, who could, could believe that a guy who died naked on a tree could have anything to do with our eternal destination? It's foolishness in the world's eyes. And yet, he, God used him. He is, he is the cornerstone. He is the foundation on which we live. At the end of this verse, this is difficult. They stumble because they disobey the Word as they were destined to do. First, they stumble because they disobey the Word. They stumble. They reject Jesus because they disobey the Word. God has said, this is My Son. Listen to Him. This is My Son who I've offered up as a sacrifice for your sins. Trust in Him and you won't be ashamed. And the unbelieving, rejecting world, they disobey that Word of God. They disobey the Gospel. They reject it. So they stumble over Jesus because of their rebellion. They, they choose willingly, I don't want to have anything to do with Jesus. They stumble because they disobey the world. The emphasis here is on the disobedience and the, the um, responsibility of that unbeliever. And then the last part of the verse can puzzle us as they were destined to do. And I think there's two senses we can think about as they were destined to do here. One, this was a fulfillment of prophecy, right? In the, in the Old Testament times. That, that when the Messiah came, the religious establishment was going to reject Him. And, and it was the fulfillment of prophecy that Jesus was rejected by men as they were destined to do. But at the same time, I think this ought to remind us of verse 1, whenever, God, whenever Peter calls us elect exiles. God chose us. God chose us. We didn't get saved just because we one day woke up and think, I, I think I'm going to get saved today. I think I'm going to believe in Jesus today. No. God chose us. He worked in our lives. We were rebels. We were dead in our sins and trespasses. We were going on our own way, doing our own thing, as happy as a lark and miserable. And God plucked us out and chose us. On the other hand, God doesn't do anything by accident. 
Nothing happens by accident. The, the, the biblical worldview is that God is in control of all things. God, God is in control. He, is, he holds the hearts of kings in His hand, and He determines where the dice land. That, God is that sovereign. And unbelievers, this text says, as they were destined to do. I don't want to push that too hard. But the corollary is, we're chosen. And that's where he goes next. Verse 9 says, But you, in contrast to the unbelievers who were destined to destruction, you are a chosen race. God has chosen us to be a, a people together. Not just individuals who were chosen, but He's called us to be a chosen race, a chosen nation. A, a people who... who um, the, the word there for chosen race, it has to do with descent. Um, people who are part of a family. We're a chosen family. He's chosen us. And a royal priesthood. We're sons of the King. And we fulfill this priestly function as we proclaim the Gospel to others. And we, we try to bring reconciliation between God and man by, by proclaiming what Jesus has done for us on the cross. We're a royal priesthood. A holy nation. We're citizens of a King. And a new kingdom. We, we're we're uh, exiles in this world. In this hostile world that we live in. We are a holy nation that's set apart from the rest of the people of the world. And we have no borders. <laughs> Boy, that'll get you in trouble talking about borders in, in this, this, this life. But the kingdom of God has no borders. He is king over everything. And He rules in the hearts of His people no matter where we are. From Panama to Timbuktu, you know. A holy nation. I lost my place. A people for His own possession. We're God's people. He's chosen us. He's, he's given us a function as priests to the rest of the people around us. We're a holy nation. He's a, he, we're His. We belong to Him. That ought to make us feel special. That ought to make us feel comforted in the midst of this hostile world. That you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Why has He done all of this for us in Jesus? Why has He plucked us out of the darkness? Why has He, he called us to be a chosen race and a royal priesthood and a holy nation? Why has He done all of this? It's so that we might proclaim the excellencies of Him. We're called to call people to worship the one true and living God. This, we, we do this every Sunday when we meet here. Or at, at another church. Or, you know, when believers meet together, we are fulfilling this function. We are proclaiming the excellencies of Him who called us out of darkness and into light. When we worship together, and it's also fulfilled in evangelism. When we're, as our mission says, out of our out of the front page of our bulletin, communicating the Gospel to those who have not heard. 
We're proclaiming the excellencies of Him who called us out of darkness and into His marvelous light. That's the one. We're, we're proclaiming His excellencies. We're proclaiming what He has done, what his, the greatness of His majesty, of how, how He caused us to be born again, about how He's got this inheritance for us. We're, we're, we're talking about how, how he, has, he holds us in His own hands by His power. He, he, and how He has planned salvation from all of history. We, 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 we proclaim the excellencies of this One and, and it's personal because it's not just... We're not just proclaiming this about some distant deity, but we're, 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 call, we're proclaiming this about the One who rescued us, who brought us from darkness into light, who, who, who gave us life from the dead, who we once were blind, but now we see... It's personal. He rescued us. And so we're now to proclaim those excellencies, whether, whether it's in worship or whether that's in evangelism. Our purpose as a kingdom of priests is to proclaim the worth and the majesty of Jesus. The wind keeps blowing my pages. Once, you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once, you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Now, two things here. Many of Peter's original audience were Gentile believers. And so, they weren't considered the people of God before. They, they, were, they were Gentiles, they were rebels, they were, they were you know, no distinguishing factor from the rest of the world. And God took these people that were not a people, a, a, an identifiable people, and He's plucked them out of the world, He's plucked us out of the world, and, and molded us into a community. God's people. And, and He's done that for us. You know, uh, and, and we may not have a whole lot in common uh, among uh, among the thing, the people we've known, the, all the things we've done in our lives, we may not have a lot in common. Although I can't really say that necessarily to the people who are here, because actually, I think maybe half of us that are here are related to me, and and another few I've known for years and years. But at the same time, for the church, there's not necessarily anything that that ties us together, other than the fact that that Jesus has brought people from different backgrounds, different ethnicities, different social dynamics, all together as one people who are the people of God. Once you have not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. Once we... we got to be reminded so that we appreciate even more the grace and the mercy of God. we got to be reminded, once we were a people that had not received mercy. Once we were lost. Once we were blind. Once we were dead. Once we were in darkness. But now, we've received mercy. We see we're in the light. We've been born again. We've been brought to life. And that ought to cause us to praise Him. We're back to verse 3 of chapter 1. That ought to cause us to praise Him. That ought to cause us to proclaim the excellencies of Him who called us out of darkness and into His marvelous light. Also, this is a reference... I think, to Hosea. 
This last verse, verse 10. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. If you know the story of uh, Hosea, you know, Hosea had had uh, been called, he was a prophet. God called him to, to marry an adulterous woman. And he had some children. And God told him to name these children. One of them was Loami, which means not my people. And the other one, he was supposed to name Lo Ruchamah, which means no mercy. No mercy. No compassion, no mercy. Same thing. We were like that. We were like the illegitimate children of a prostitute. And God took those not my people. God took those no mercy. And He brought us together. And we're now God's people. We've been adopted. And He's now had compassion on us. Now had mercy on us. Though we didn't deserve it. Though if it had not been for the fact that He loved us first, we would continue to refuse Him still. He's had mercy on us. He's had compassion on us. And that ought to cause us in the midst of a hostile world to have the strength to praise Him. He is worthy of our praise because He has done marvelous things in our lives. He was rejected and we're rejected in this world, but you know what? He's made us a people. He's called us to be a holy nation, a kingdom of priests. We proclaim the glories and the majesty of Jesus. That ought to cause us to praise Him. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. For more information, please visit us at RedeemerBaptistPanama.com or you can like us on Facebook.